forever young adult of the podcast Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, read and discuss young adult fiction from Ireland. This one is from Ireland. We've we've put it in... is, and it's from 2020. Yeah, it's a real new one. It's um, it's a debut author from 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not her first book that she's written, but it is the first one she published. Where did you get this information? I follow her on the Twitter. Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> hello, listeners. Welcome. This week, we're doing something a little bit different in that both Kira and I have read this book because Kira was reading it for the pod and then she lent it to me because she thought I would enjoy it. And I also read it. And now we are discussing a book that we've both read recently, which is not a thing we've done before. But it will also be a bit close to home because Kira follows this author on uh, Twitter and my partner works with her. <laughs> Uh, not directly. Um, H- Helen Corcoran, who wrote this book, is a bookseller by trade. And my partner got a job in the same company of bookshops, but not directly in the same bookshop. But it's just close enough that I'm a little bit like I can't. I know her. <laughs> That's a real person I know who wrote a book. To be fair, though, if we were like, I know every author that Kira follows on Twitter, then we would be like not able to review any Irish books. That's fair. Yeah. Because I follow a lot of someday Irish someone, authors. Someday someone in my acquaintance will write a book and I will have a lot of complicated feelings about it. I mean, people in my acquaintance have written books, but they're not good books, so it's fine. <laughs> Helen Corcoran isn't in my acquaintance. That is not what I'm saying. And also, this is a good book. So this is a good book. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. What a mess. Okay. So we read, both of us, Queen of Coin Mm -hmm. and Whispers by Helen Corcoran, which was so good that I read it and then made you read it and then got sad that I didn't have the copy of the book that I had given to you from the libraries. And so I purchased it so that I could reread Kira. it. Kira never purchases books. Kira's a librarian. I know. I very rarely purchase books. Um, but when I do purchase them, it's because they it's because they are a book that I want to reread more than once, likely. And also they tend to have very pretty covers. And this book has a very pretty cover. <laughs> Since you follow Helen Corcoran Mm -hmm. on Twitter, do you want to give us a little bit of bio on the author? Sure. Sorry. I know Helen Corcoran is from Cork. Uh, She lives in Dublin and she attended Trinity University in the centre of town and has been working in bookshops for about 10 years. That is my knowledge of Helen Corcoran. That is all accurate. Um, That is from the author blurb. (laughs) Uh, she's writing more books at the moment. There's a prequel series to this book, which is just very short. Um, and it's just like three times the main characters could have met but didn't kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and what I'd really like is if there was a sequel to this book. But due to like the the the, the, the way that it wraps up, I don't think that there will be. Which is also, sad Kira, it was published in 2020. Give her some time. <laughs> no, like, because, okay. While reading the book the first time, I literally read it in, I'd say, 12 hours. Because um, while we were allowed to travel, I went to Limerick to visit my family. And they were like, we're not, we're just having a very chill weekend. And I was like, cool. So I sat on the couch while they watched chill TV and I started to finish this book and it was fantastic. But I started getting a little bit worried around, it's it's 450 pages, which is actually quite long for a, for a YA debut. But I did get start getting worried around 200 pages in that I was like, there better be a sequel to this book because there's so much happening and there's so much to wrap up. Yeah. Um, and that is like my main complaint of the book is that it is a standalone. It does wrap itself up. And I feel like the ending was very rushed. And that if it wasn't a debut, the publishers may have given Corcoran a bit more room and she might have got like another hundred pages, which I feel like would have stretched it a bit more. Or again, if she wasn't like a debut author, she might have even got like a two book deal 
and then it would have mm-hmm. been like a two book series and I feel like there is a point in the book that would naturally extend itself to being like a first book and then there's a point that would extend itself to being a second book if it got more yeah. time and space. I was going to say it feels very much like a book in two halves. Yeah. For a little bit of context on the book, this is a <laughs> historical alternate history book. It's not fantasy, but it's got a lot of the trappings of fantasy. You know, there's no magic or anything, but it's a quasi-historical setting uh, with made-up countries and cultures. And it's a political drama, essentially, where one of our main characters becomes queen of her small country. And the other of the main characters is a spy master type character for her. I I described um, it. I described it to someone as... Philippa Gregory meets Game of Thrones politics. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I was reading little portions of it aloud to my partner um, just because we were chilling one day and um, they kept like raising their hand with questions. And one was, (laughs) is there any magic in this book? And I said, no. And then like two pages later, they were like, why does this book feel like it should have magic in it? Because and that's because it's an alternative history setting. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's the kind of book that I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, "Oh, there used to be dragons," and then everyone has to like head whip to be like, "Wait, does are dragons gonna come? Is there gonna be dragons?" Um, yeah, but yeah, it is just like it feels very like fifteen. 1600 maybe a bit later i have a really gra- bad grasp of like where i the can't world possibly is. comment because my partner is a historian and i occasionally have to be like so queen victoria was after jane austen and they want to cry so <laughs> <laughs> queen victoria in fact was long after jane austen several hundred years after i think at least a hundred years um but yeah <laughs> But it is it is like a royal court drama. That is the main thing of this. Um, and there's some such so beautiful, some such so beautiful. That's a phrase. I'm gonna mm-hmm. put it on a badge and sell it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some beautiful, like descriptions of dresses, like old fashioned dresses, and like proper bodices and corsets and I'm really hoping that I have that right because I know that Helen Corcoran did a lot of research into um outfits Mm -hmm. and had a whole thing about like what kind of like style they would have and the difference between corsets and bodices and all these different things and what she would have her characters wearing I would say probably like again this is an alternate history they'd be wearing stays not corsets stays is what you had in like the 17th century uh and they were less shapely it's like you know if you see those old um like a period drama where all of the women's torsos are just kind of a triangle Mm. and there's no hourglassness to it that's the shape that stays gives you um Um, i think i think that i think that like just based on a tweet that I'm remembering, because like I didn't really mark any of her tweets for this podcast, but I'm just like, because just, they just show up in my thing. Like there was a whole thing in her head about like whether they would wear stays or corsets. And like she did a lot of research and a lot of like world building for this book, which I really, I loved the world building in this. I loved the world building. I loved it a lot, a lot, a lot. And then I was reminded that this was written by an Irish author in 2020. And I loved it even more. Um, one of Just them- because it's often an issue in quasi-historical things, I'm also going to point out she has wonderful casual queerness and casual racial diversity in her historical countries. And not only is it... Sometimes I think when people are trying to be inclusive in their art they can just draw diverse characters or mention that the characters are of diverse racial backgrounds and leave it at that but this book goes beyond it and is like there's a character um called Zania is how I've been pronouncing her name it's possible that you would have pronounced it differently but her she is a character of color and her mother was like a second generation immigrant Her mother was a second generation immigrant to this country that they're living in, which is sort of Northern Europe seeming. 
And not only is she described as like a woman of colour, there's also discussions of how her mother, you know, was one of the first people from this immigrant community to marry outside of the community and how it's kind of unusual for them to be uh, in the social position they're in and how her mother gets concerned that her daughters might not keep the historical traditions alive and how they try to speak some of the language at home and stuff. And you get an actual insight into a culture that's there. And there's there's another character of colour who I think is only mentioned like once or twice, but one of the things that like Zania is like, I bonded, I'm friends with this person and she is of a much higher social class than me by birth and by marriage. And, but we have bonded by the fact that like, we are both interested in maths and puzzles. And also we cemented our friendship talking about combing tricks for our curls because we both have black people hair. Um, yeah. And and I'm just like, and that is just a really easy way of like being like, this person is of color and has black hair, has hair that is not white And it white matters. People. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter in that she doesn't get this none of these characters experience like discrimination based on their race at all yeah all of the discrimination is still, class based <laughs> all of the discrimination is class based but it's just a really nice way to show oh i don't it's not race blind mm. and you get to it's it's nice it's a really good piece of world building i think so it's in this world building uh Corcoran has created a world where there is a somewhat movable gentry. So you have seven, it's called seven steps, but the lowest one is actually three and the highest one is seven. And these people are your gentry and most of the characters we see are gentry. And there are also commoners, but like Kira said, we don't get to see the commoners at all. I kind and of there think- are merchants. I, I know that the step starts at three, but the impression that I got is that like the merchant class would be two and then people who aren't who aren't gentry and aren't merchants are one. Yeah. I like could be I could be read like the peasantry. I could be reading into it, but that was the impression that I got. That makes sense, yeah. And if I'm thinking of it could be inspired by the pre revolution French um God, what they're what were they called? I think there might have been again. My my dearest darling Christina is yelling at me for <laughs> through time. Estate. So pre-revolution France had three estates, which is kind of similar, I think, to this, where it was the first estate was the gentry, the second estate was the church, and the third estate, which was like ninety five percent of the population, was the commoners. Um, so there's a similar world building here. There's no major church, but you have your sort of seven steps. And the queen at one point makes a merchant, uh, like very low baron. And once you are kind of in that hierarchy between three and seven, you can move around a bit. But also like the six and seven people mostly keep to themselves and are like we are the bestest ever and we don't even we still look down on like if you're four or five even though you're still a posho and it's it's very fun and new and like historical without being just taking from a real world system yeah and the system that this has as well is kind of english in that it is Mm -hmm. it is a monarchy and the monarch does rule the place but there's also a parliament that is voted on by the people um that has like a proposition and an opposition like it has a ruling government and an opposition and then the queen is over them and like is much more active than the queen in england and proposes legislation and like works with the government and all of this um and then there's other we learn about other countries within this world. Like one of them has a monarchy that is just like, we're the monarchy and you do what we say. Um, there's a matri- there's a matriarchal monarchy, which I 
I'm not entirely sure how their government rules, but they are matriarchal, which is why when... Matrilineal as well. Yeah, and matrilineal. And when one of their sons comes to be like, hey, you want to marry me? There's a whole thing about how he has no actual power at all because his sister, who Mm -hmm. is younger than him, also comes and is like, no, I'm the boss here, though. Um, Yeah, I'm here to chaperone my brother. (laughs) Yeah. My big brother. My big brother. It's very amusing. And honestly, I think that he gets mentioned in that scene and I'm not sure he gets mentioned again. He gets mentioned like three times. There's many times later on where like the sister and other visiting monarchs are together and being discussed. And I'm like, what happened to Hassan? (laughs) Hassan Hassan was here twice. Where's that nice Hassan boy? Where did he go? Um, And then there's like another country that's mentioned that is just a republic. And they're kind of like, what's going on? over in those monarchy places. Mm -hmm. So like there is multiple ruling systems within this world, which is really interesting. Um, And also within Edgar, you have, which is the country in which they're living. There isn't this, do you know when you watch Star Wars? We haven't talked about the plot of the book at all, but do you know when you watch Star Wars and they're like, we're going to this planet and the whole planet has like the same ecosystem and the whole planet, everyone lives the exact same way. There is And the same culture. And the same culture. There is like comments within the book about Edgar being like, we're worried about a drought in the south and we're worried about um, flooding in the north and we're worried about these different things and in the south... Mm -hmm. In the south, in the west, we have too much rain because the rain's meant to go to the south and weather systems. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, they're like, one of the other countries is called Farsi, and they're like, in the south, the the culture there is very um, influenced by Farsi, which used to be like the empire of all of these countries. So we're also in like a post colonialism situation. (laughs) And they talk about how their rituals derive from different eras in their history and how there was an empire that covered them and then that empire retreated and they sort of re-established a native culture and then an empire came again and how because the the southern culture is influenced more by that empire they often draw on the northern traditions to create a concept of statehood and it's like really good it's really good this this book is really good if you like your world building if you like your sort of fantasy, but not fantasy, if you like your political intrigue, and if you like casual, non-racist, non-homophobic racial diversity and queer stories in those settings. It's amazing. I'm trying to remember if there's like an actual straight person who speaks. Um, And I'm sure that there is because like, uh, I'm pretty some sure some people that we don't know whether they're some straight. People, some like I'm literally just like any character that I'm like I think they're straight is only because they're not confirmed to be not straight. Like even yeah. Um, so Le- the main characters in this book are Leia, uh, not Leia, uh, Leah. You've been pronouncing it Leah. So Leah is the queen, and she is like brand new, brand new queen. Uh, When we meet her at the start of the book, she is not the queen and she is receiving the news that her uncle is about to die. And technically speaking, she shouldn't have been in line of succession. So her grandfather was the king and he had two sons, her uncle and her father. And I think that the uncle was the older. And then... The uncle and his wife had a series of miscarriages and could not conceive a live child. And then, so which meant that her father was next in secession, but then he died. So now she's next in secession. So like, it it was not initially expected for her to be the princess and therefore the queen. Yeah. Um, but... I think since she was she about was always 10. a very high-ranking noble. Yeah, but it was when she was a reasonably old child that it became yeah. clear she was probably going to be the next in line. So she is eighteen or nineteen at the start of the book, and has and is like reaching the news that her uncle 
is dying and so she has to head to the palace in order to but she's hoping to meet him before his death but unfortunately doesn't and there's also a lot of animosity between her family and his family like between her mother and her and him and the queen and the previous queen his wife (laughs) um so there's just like a lot going on there and that's when we meet leah and so she is a brand new queen and she's just discovering like the intricacies of politics because she's also like super idealistic and she's like I will become the queen and I will fix everything in the country and everything will be fine um and isn't like fully understanding how complicated all of the politics involved and and she doesn't know who to trust and people are manipulating each other the reason this book is called queen of coin and whispers is that coin is the money people getting bribed and also there is a character called coin who is the head of the treasury which i think it's his title he's the master of coin and uh zania works in the treasury so she is of coin and then she is also made the whispers which is the kind of semi-official court secret keeper role yeah for a spy master um and she gets special privileges uh, to spy on the queen's behalf and try to keep her safe and so it's very delicate and it's very I do think this book did something very interesting and when you say that it had the potential for at least two books in it I completely agree with you in some ways I feel like this story was let down a little bit and I don't think it's that the writer let it down I think there just wasn't enough space and like you said if there was a two book deal it could have done more because we get we get Leah coming in as queen and trying to do the very best for her her subjects and we get her getting tied up in all of the court intrigue and having to keep herself safe and making incremental changes and then we get a slap to the face of the world intruding and her leave, losing favor uh because people are saying we thought you would be amazing and you came in and you haven't made massive changes and we don't really get to digest that before another big plot point happens whereas I think if that could if that could have breathed a bit and we got to see her mature as a politician it could have been very interesting to see her try strike the balance between I want my kingdom to be fairer because it's been ruled very badly for quite a while and I want to care and look after the very most vulnerable. But I also need to not turn the court against me because they could behead me, really. And that's that's a role which I think is interesting. And because it is because it is like a monarchy with a parliament, parliament could like vote to get rid of the monarchy. So she has to keep both the royals and the, the nobles happy and also keep the the parliament and therefore like the merchants and and the commoners commoners. i was gonna say peasants but i was like that's not the word i want (laughs) and the commoner Mm. is happy and it's very difficult to strike that balance especially since like she is surrounded the majority of the time actually nearly all the time by people of some sort of nobility and therefore like can't fully get a grasp of the more common and the merchant classes um which is also like different to how she was brought up because she spends her the majority of her childhood she spends half the year in court and half the year um, on her own family estate which means that like and it would appear that she is running her family estate much she's running her family estate in much of the way that she would like to rule the country and but it's just that the country is so much larger than her family estate and it involves so many more like smaller incremental decisions and it's been mismanaged for so long. Like she she's ruling a bankrupt country that is surviving on loans from other countries on the basis that mm-hmm. like we actually do have money and we can pay you back. But we're telling you that and the truth is that we can't. So she can't just pull money in order to like improve inst- infrastructure and there's also like a whole plot about the fact that they they have both too much rain in some parts of the country and not enough rain in other parts of the country so they don't have enough grain in order to feed themselves for the winter and so she has to like 
purchase grain from other countries, but she also wants to purchase grain from other countries on the DL so that other countries don't raise their prices. And she's like, it's a whole thing. And then uh, it's just that, like that so drives, much is happening. That literally that thing with the rain also feeds into a drama where there's some people high up in the military who are like, you're not doing enough we offered to go pirating and stealing grain for our people and you dismissed our concerns. Whereas she's just like, I would prefer you didn't steal from people, but I also don't want people to starve and we all don't want people to starve, but I would also like you to not lead a coup against me. And it's it's delightful. It's such good intrigue and drama. And one thing I really love about it is that thing where you're not completely sure your character's in the right. Because she does yeah. lose sight of the broader world. And like you said, there's alternating points of view between Zania and Leah. And they've got the conflict of wondering if their relationship, because spoilers, it's also a romance book, uh, where they fall in love with each other. They don't know whether their relationship is going to impede them making good choices for the country and whether their families and alliances blind them to the greater good. It's it's really interesting. In some places, it reminded me quite a bit of The Cry of the Ice Mark by Stuart Hill, which I would say is a book I love very much and have considered talking about on the podcast, but haven't yet. It's a book I read when I was a teenager, and it also has a very young queen coming into power and there is a threat of an encroaching empire. It is a fantasy book, so she has to go to like the vampire kingdoms and the werewolf kingdoms and create alliances. And she also has like a trusty advisor who is not part of her social circle. And a lot of that stuff is similar. And that remi- that that was good. But I think in in the cry of the ice mark you never wonder if our main character is getting duped or if she's become unreliable you know you don't get that same question yeah leah has some of those partly because like she gets backed into corners at various points and at, due to a series of events at one point she just straight up panics and is like this is the way to solve the problem but it actually makes the problem way way worse but also because mm-hmm. she is the queen and because she is in such a panic no one is able no one is capable of disagreeing with her if for fear that they like that she cuts them out and they aren't able to then help her when things mm-hmm when she becomes calmer, um, yeah. which I actually, I was just like, yeah, she is, she is the queen. And those, those are things that happen when you are dealing with a person who has been raised to expect um, absolute, absoluteness. Like she does encourage yeah. people continuously to disagree with her at various points. She's like, in private, you can disagree with me. You can fight the points. It's fine, but not in public. But then when it comes to it, she's actually a little bit like, why are you disagreeing with me? I am the queen. These are my decisions. Um, yeah. And then, so yeah, the the relationship between Zanya and Leia, and Leah, I keep calling her Leia. The, the relationship between... You said Star Wars earlier. It poisoned yeah, your brain. Yeah, I know. The relationship between Zanya and Leah is really well done. The primary conflict between them, both being ladies, is not homophobia within the universe it is that as queen Leah needs to have an heir and there needs to be like no questions of the legitimacy of said heir but also she is solely attracted to women and she has a lot of issues with herself she's like my parents marriage was a partnership my uncle's marriage for all its issues was a partnership my grandparents um it is known that my grandfather had a lot of affairs with his wife's knowledge, but my great grandparents, they also had like a full, like, which is in itself is also a partnership. And so she really wants mm-hmm. her marriage to be a partnership and like a love match kind of like she understands mm-hmm. that it has to be for political gain, but she also kind of wants a love match. 
So she has a lot of issues with being like, oh, I'll marry a dude and make a baby and then Sanya will be my love on the side. But she doesn't want, she does not want that all the same. She's like, I wish. Yeah, that's part of it is that it is still, it is still a YA book. They are still teens. And (laughs) Leah is a girl who never got to do a romance because she had to hide from the court the fact that she was gay because she was going to be the heir. better... Yeah, in order to like better her her matches later, she decided that she wouldn't entertain any romances because she was like, ah, I'm mm-hmm. solely into women, it appears, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because of my position, not because of the society we live in. Like her her secretary and bestie friend, Matthias, is a gay boy who seems to be having lots of fun around the place and nobody's judging him. Coin, who is one of the most... Um, Respected Most people in respected, the country. Respected and influential people in the country is referenced as having a husband. Like, there isn't... The the issue There's, with her sexuality is 100% based on the fact that she has to have a royal baby. To the extent that there is a sort of cousin she has who is, like, of a opposing political... He's the prince of another country, but he's also her heir until she produces an heir due to an old family alliance that means that he is her distant cousin. And as at a certain point, it seems like he's gonna blackmail her about being queer and just be like, cousin, you know it isn't wise that you are being so ostentatious in your favour over this person. And Leah says something kind of that's... She says something along the lines of damn, I didn't know you were homophobic. And this like political opponent cousin who might be angling to take over her country is like so offended that she would think he's homophobic that like all of his scheming goes out the window for a second. He's like, no, of, of course not. That's not it. Anyway, I'm trying to manipulate you. <laughs> so yeah. good. It's so good. Um, and the the romance is like so subtly done for much of the book. And until mm-hmm. until they're just like, okay, and then we shifted. We just shifted. We just, oh my God, I just yeah. have to kiss her. Um, and there's so many Imagine references. Imagine this book had the word shifted in it. I would die. It wouldn't see <laughs> it at all. It but I'm like, if I wrote a book, it doesn't matter what context or like genre it was in. I would have to say shifted every time they kissed. And then I would have to get my mm-hmm. editors to like point it out to me so that I could fix it. <laughs> and that's why I will never write a book. No, keep it in. I'd say, okay, these are poshos. But if you're writing a book in this universe where you are working with like normal people, they could use the word shifted because, you know, <laughs> people always have slang. I'm not even sure if they use the word kiss in this book. It could be that she pressed her lips to mine. Mine. They say that sometimes, but they do say kiss as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because also like, oh, they're such dumb lesbians because they also like what because they're both being really subtle. So so Leah is the queen. She is the queen. There is no one higher ranked than her. And Zanya is like third step by birth which is the lowest of the of of the nobles um and her her mother's actually her her mother is actually a a commoner her mother was like a merchant banker and then married into the third step and now has at the when zanya's father died she remarried to fifth step which is like the lowest that you can be and be around royalty like really Zanya has no business being around uh Leah at all like she shouldn't be around and people are like and as much as people discriminate within the book they're like I don't understand why the queen likes you why are you here what is your purpose we're so confused by the fact that she favors you and because you are so low born even if you were fifth step you would be kind of low to be like one of the queen's ladies but not only are you fifth step you're fifth step who was born third step and really if we go back through your family your mother wasn't even in the steps yeah like she was like like on a ramp or something we don't understand (laughs) 
like it is mentioned multiple like more or less any time someone is introduced to her they're like they go through her family history and she's like I get it I'm third step by birth and fifth step by marriage and and she keeps bringing up they're like and like fifth step by marriage like she's fifth step she's fifth step um and later in the book someone like is really trying to drag her down and she's like yeah and you're being brought down by a third step um which is just beautiful i was like embrace <laughs> embrace your commonness <laughs> um so like she really has no business hanging out with leah at like as like fifth step by marriage, third step by birth, which is just like, mm-hmm. if I see that phrase one more time. <laughs> um, but she has been brought on through her friendship with Matthias and also like her father's training because her father, her father was really into puzzles and things and like thought her lots of puzzles and mathematics. And so she's super into puzzles. So between that, and Matthias, who is her friend, who is also friends with the queen and is like the queen's second in command is the wrong word because he has no power outside of Leah, but Leah would not be able secretary. to. Yeah, Leah wouldn't be able to function without Matthias keeping mm-hmm. the wheels rolling. Um, so she is introduced to, to Leah through Matthias and becomes their, her spy master. And I think that she does a fairly decent job for a 17-year-old because she turns 18 in the book. Um, She does a fairly decent job. It's Um, another one of those books where as well, it's the moment the character turns 18 that the relationship is consummated, which I always find very funny. It happens in Tangled, where it's like her 18th birthday that her love interest kisses her. Anyway. No, they had kissed. They had kissed before she turned eighteen. Okay. Well, something happens because I remember it happening and being like, "Of course, you waited till this day." Um, I don't think that they do have sex on that occasion. There is a lot of like implied sex and no sex on screen in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that maybe they had sex on the night of her birthday. Definitely. Definitely they wake up together the morning after her birthday because a plot relevant thing happens and they both need alibis and so their relationship is outed. Yeah. Um, Now, I say their relationship is outed, but like the whole court knew something was going on at that point. And it's that they tell their, their respective families that something more serious than a dalliance is happening Mm -hmm. at that point. And both families are just like, Guys, guys, it's so cool that you like ladies. That's not a problem. But what are you doing? You Like, Leah's family is like, girl, I raised you to marry a prince and have a baby. And you can have all the mistresses on the side that you want. But where is this baby? Because there is no mm-hmm. other heirs. And then... And if she doesn't Zania's have a kid, family, the kingdom goes to the crown prince of the country that used to conquer us. Exactly. It's bad. And, and Zania's family is like, girl, you are a third step by birth. Why is the queen messing with you? Like, she is it's not It's also going... like, you can't have an advantageous marriage if you're known to be connected with the queen because no high ranking lady or lord will flirt with you if they know that the queen could punish them for it. Exactly. They're like, what are you doing? And like, the queen can't raise you to a higher level Mm -hmm. because like, you're not going to marry the queen. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And Leah has to be like, no, but I am very serious about your daughter. I am 19 years old and I am very serious about your daughter. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's just, I'm just like, guys, why can't you just both be common ladies in very fancy dresses? (laughs) Yeah. Or even just both third step like both kind of poshish because again like the head of the navy is a woman with a wife the head of the uh the head of the treasury is a man with a husband where he's like he's i love the character of the master of coin because his traits are has a cat loves his husband good at numbers and that's basically it. That's but these things are mentioned every uh, time he's brought he's up. He's very grouchy. 
He's also very grouchy. His husband yeah. is only mentioned like once or twice. I also love that his cat his husband is mentioned at least cat- twice because both times it's someone says like I could kiss you, but we know you love your husband too much. Like someone, and then someone else says like you could marry the master of coin, but of course he loves his husband too much. So all we know is he loves his husband. That's all we know about his husband. <laughs> The the coin coin will do nothing but love his husband and keep re- he has like many sets so he runs the treasury and he runs it like with an iron fist and is a little bit like he loves the affection that he has for his workers is lovely but also he does not tolerate mistakes and will just like shout you out if necessary and will fire you yeah um, grumpy granddad. Grumpy grand. Oh my god, that's exactly who Coin is. He's a grumpy granddad who loves his husbands, um, yeah. but he has like all these keys, and he like gives them out to people like really sparingly, and is like, "You get access to one, like you get access to this one cabinet because I have all the keys, and you have one copy of the key, and I know who has the keys, so I know if someone else reads that file, you gave them the key, and then I will personally fire you." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "I love you," and he's really pissed because. In order to like give Zanya the 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 access to secrets that she needs, Leah like tells Coin that she wants Zanya promoted within Treasury because that's where she's been working, and he has to rearrange his system in order to give her more access to things, but also mm-hmm. not access to other things. And he's just like so annoyed by it. And I'm like, I love this grouchy old man. Can he be my grandfather? Mm. <laughs> Can I? Can he be my boss in Treasury? But then I would have to work with numbers again, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. They call her half a maths degree, Murray. Oh, half a maths degree. Half a maths degree, Murray. Yeah. Now um, a librarian. So- I. <laughs> I don't think we should go too much more into the plot of this because it is yeah. such a intrigue twists and turns book do you want to talk about what we loved and hated i know that's all we've been doing so far but um uh, so my major complaint is when we've kind of touched on this already is just like the ending of the book is very rushed there is like so many plot points throughout the book and so much happening and that really gives it like a, a sense of like intrigue and a sense of of like that there's so much happening and that's true but then at the end there's just like something happens over the course of like two months and like it happens so it's fast. in two chapters yeah and like and also and i feel like that isn't i don't think that that it, that it's a bad it, that it's a writing choice so much as i feel like it's a not enough and that's not i don't even want to say not enough faith in the author from the publishers but like Helen Corcoran is a first-time author. It's um, not a super. It's a fantasy genre. novel in a YA word count. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. You know those fantasy and books that, like Robin Hobb, where she has sprawling, complex intrigue with, like it's that is being set up, but mm. then it takes so much to lovingly and like deliciously set all that stuff up, and it's beautiful, and you're reveling in every detail and every twist and turn. And then suddenly it's like, it's like we looked at word count and was like, oops, we have we have to 100 tie pages to, to tie yeah. it up. Yeah. And so, so I feel like even stretching the book to like, it has a 450 word count. I feel stretching it to like 550 might have given it the space it needs to breathe. Honestly, I'd really have loved if it was two books um, or even a three book series. But I understand mm-hmm. why a publisher would be reluctant with a first-time author to do that and i also understand why they would purchase the book as a as a standalone um also the ending is so neatly wrapped up that i'm like oh there really isn't room for a sequel it seems to me that there isn't room for a sequel now if helen corcoran wrote another book with these characters i would read it if she wrote a book with some of the side characters i would read it i would be super interested in going back into this universe Mm. and reading anything that she gave us even within the constraints of the word count as well she does a remarkably good job in like how what you know how i was saying earlier that the characters have to be aware of everything but also in myopic detail where we get characters like 
noticing that something's up but not knowing what's up and then getting distracted by another crisis and another crisis and another crisis and then that first thing they notice like pops up again that happens two or three times where it's something that you noted as "Mm, if I had more time I would deal with that and then you don't have more time because there's another crisis and then that ends up being a bigger plot point later on I think that's really well done Mm. it's a very good encapsulation of how that sort of political maneuvering works and nothing feels forced as much as it's like I wish we had more time to go over this like even the brief overview we get because it's in broader swathes still makes sense it's very good I don't want to feel I don't want anyone to feel like the characters are weakly written towards the end it's just that there isn't enough time to explore everything yeah it's I have one other peeve with this book though sorry do we want to walk talk about the closeness of the end more um no I was just gonna say that it is just like the only thing that I could say that would like other than having more book would be to like have one less plot point but I don't know what Mm. plot line I would take out like they all come together so well and like they do make sense as running um but yeah the only thing that I could say is to be like have one less stream but then I think that would actually like lessen the book more than having a rushed ending. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sorry, it could have also been shortened overall, I guess, instead of having, it really does feel like a book in two halves. Like the first half mm. has loving, intricate court detail. And then in the second half, the world explosively expands. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, that was probably like editing constraints. It takes a lot of work. To, to change something like that when you've already written a book. My other problem is a pet peeve of mine that will impede my enjoyment of any art piece ever produced. And it is a pet peeve I have from doing an undergrad in psychology and a master's in development. And it is that torture doesn't work. This book doesn't say that torture works. But this book has the characters using torture as if it works. And I think you can build a world where torture happens because it's it vibes with the world you're building and the ruthlessness of it without it being portrayed as working. It could be the same thing as your, your queer characters in this otherwise very historical setting and your racially diverse uh, cast. You could have, you know oh, this palace guard betrayed us. We're going to try torturing him. And then someone else is like, no, that's so stupid. You know that never gets good answers. We're going to do this other thing. I I agree. I agree with you. I didn't much like... And like the torture does happen off screen and then we find out the results of this. But I will say they they have like two or three different people that require information to come from and one of them they're like we have time and therefore they go down the psychological route of being like you're locked up and we need to tell us answers and like tidbits of information to him so that he gives them more information and like psychological torture as opposed to physical and mostly they bring in his sister to talk to him about how he's ashamed the family and stuff yeah yeah and they are like the whole time they're like his information is reliable. The information that he gave us is truthful and reliable. And then when they when they do ultimately use force on a different character, they're like, okay, we got this information from him, but we're not sure how truthful that is because it was a rush job. So like they do, they're like, we need the information right now. And so we will go for like the most brutal method possible. But then the information that we guess, we have to like, take with a grain of salt so I will say that they do do that and I will give no quarter here torture doesn't work (laughs) it is irresponsible it is morally irresponsible as a writer to portray torture as a method of gaining information because art and reality are of the same fabric they are intertwined and I'm not saying that all artists have a moral obligation to 
create moral characters. You know, these characters do bad shit and that's fine, that's plot. But when it comes to torture specifically, it is a tool of state control used often by us in the imperial heartland that is the Western world and the global north, often on people who aren't of the imperial heartland. And it is then justified through the media we consume. You gotta, you gotta understand that we are Hunger Games. We we're are in Panem, guys. You gotta understand that we have to responsibly portray things. Um, I... That is one quibble and it's not a major plot point. Cool. I I will I I will agree that torture is always bad and that I don't particularly like it in my media, but I will say that I didn't find that it was like glorified overly within the book, but I understand your complaints. Cool. Um mm-hmm. I kind of want to wrap up. I think we've done yeah. everything we can do, but I do want to mention just because it is like true lesbianism mm-hmm. that the way that one of the characters so they, they've kind of been like flirting around each other for a while, but it's not really clear what the deal with the other one is. And suitors have come to court in order to like try and marry the queen. And also the queen is like, maybe you'll find a suitor, Zanya, girl that I am very attracted to. Um, and Zanya is like, I don't think that I will, but cool queen that I'm attracted to but cannot marry and is very jealous that the queen is like one of the ways in which one of them makes themselves like obvious that they are attracted and maybe want to start something with the other is to give them a book about a lesbian pirate and a lady who it just just was like a pure romance Mills and Boone's novel about a pirate queen and a lady who have a Mm -hmm. romance together and is like I just found this book very interesting and compelling (laughs) and I would like to hear your views on it and I'm like oh my god lesbian sheep syndrome eh Mm, mm. (laughs) very much so yeah (laughs) I oof and then, like, the other one gives it back within, like, a week. And she's like, oh, did you not read it? And she's like, I did read it. Do you think I can't read? Or something like that. <laughs> Where it's like, no, that's not what she was saying. <laughs> there's just, oh, like, there's there's so many things between them that were like, or like, Zanya is like, I am way too low born in order to, like, make a move and the queen is like oh I don't want her to feel pressured by the fact that I am the queen into like reciprocating any move that I make and they keep going for breakfast together because like because they're the queen and she is like a favor of the queen Mm -hmm. and she's also working for her in an official like an unofficial official capacity they keep having breakfast together with Matthias who is also working for the queen so that they can discuss like stately matters and stuff over breakfast and Matthias has to keep like excusing himself because of the sexual tension between mm-hmm. them and he's like okay I'm just gonna um go arrange your day because um I think that you need to talk about something okay bye-bye and I'm just like mm-hmm. Matthias you sweet child <laughs> it's very good oh it's very good uh, I remember in the middle of reading it as well I was like if this book did have magic in it, I would just have been like, oh, didn't you know? Zania's been trans the whole time. She has magical transitioned and is able to produce a baby with you, but also has transitioned and is trans and it's great. But that was obviously not how it went. It's not a book with magic in it, sadly. Yeah. Um, also, if, if at any point, like even if, in the last hundred pages, someone was like, oh, and that due to magic, I would have been like, okay, cool, 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 cool. That, I, I totally get it. It's out of the yeah. blue, but yeah, that fits with the world that we're in. Also, all of the dresses are beautiful. Like, we haven't really discussed the outfits other than to say that all of the dresses are beautiful, but they're so beautiful. There's, um, we're coming up to Christmas in, in real lifetime, and they have like a Yule ball going on within the novel, and... Uh, there's this whole intricate ritual around it where the queen, regardless of if there's a king, the queen always leads the dance and she's like queen of winter. And she has two suitors, Twilight and Nice. And Mm -hmm. 
they have like this beautiful dance with Twilight and Night and the queen chooses two people to dance with and the dresses for that are just absolutely beautiful and Leah's dress is like pure white silk and matches her skin and it's all of her outfits are like understated in such a way that means that they are actually like super super expensive Mm -hmm. Um, and she wears trousers at one point the first time she she goes to parliament when she goes to open parliament she wears trousers and I was like I actually had to like scan back up the page to be like wait she's wearing trousers because most of the time she is wearing dresses and I was like come back here now I want to listen I want to read this description again it's yeah. really good. It's really good. She wears like a waistcoat and she has like her hair plaited up around the crown. Oh, yeah. this is a really good book. It's a really fun book. We're in the long, dark days of winter. And I think now is a nice time to read nice court intrigue, romancy, YA, gorgeous work. Uh, so highly recommend this to anyone who likes fantasy even though it's not fantasy uh anyone who likes a queer romance and uh anyone who likes a court intrigue there's a lot of like everyone has different motivations and you're trying to figure out the motivations of the people that aren't the pov characters and ah it's just good and also just like no one has enough information at any time and it's fantastic Mm -hmm. because i absolutely love when people don't have enough information that's my sweet Mm -hmm. spot but uh, let's wrap up there because I think yes. we have talked about the book as much as we can right now without going into like actual spoileries. We are playing it a little bit fast and loose this month regarding what else we'll be doing. Of course, it's been new to have a book that we've both read. At some point this month, we'll also be doing our traditional year in reading where Kira and I take a break from discussing YA and instead just talk about the books that we read during the year. We will also have a guest episode coming up sometime soon where uh, my partner Christina will be telling me about one of their favourite YA books. But I'm not quite sure what you'll get in your in your little delivery box Tuesday two weeks. That is part of the mystery of the season, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a surprise. Oh, I am... I am definitely going to be telling Kira about Northanger Abbey sometime soon, though, because traditionally I read a Jane Austen every winter. And this year I'm on Northanger Abbey and it is very much a coming of age story. It very much has a 17 year old protagonist and she has read too many gothic books and thinks she's in one when in fact she's being written by Jane Austen. So it's hilarious. Amazing. Um, I continue to have never read a Jane Austen and to only see modern adaptions and not classic adaptions of her work and therefore know very little about anything. Sometimes I read books that are like, this is a this is a modern retelling of Jane Austen, except that they're not actually like saying that it is in the same way that like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of books that are just Romeo and Juliet, but with Mm -hmm. less violence. So yeah, no, that's that's all the dealio. Follow us on Twitter at Forever YA Pod to find out what we're doing. That is our most reliable social media source. We're also on Instagram at Forever YA Podcast. Um, if you want to support us and help us to purchase more books, to purchase more material, to purchase coffee, you can do so at Patreon slash Patreon.com slash Forever YA Pod. And you can also find us through our email address if you like have like a really long thing to say. How, when have you um, ever checked our email address? My Our email address is logged in on my phone. So if you send us an email, I will automatically get it. But I will also be a little bit confused. <laughs> Are we going to give people that address? For the, if you email us at four, the number four, four. Yeah, the number, the number four everyoungadult at gmail.com I will get it and I will read it and I will scream a little that someone wanted to talk to us enough that they sent us an entire email as opposed to just tweeting at us like mm-hmm. imagine talking to someone in more than in more than 150 characters imagine being on twitter I'm on twitter but like imagine <laughs> cool uh, it's always been lovely potting with you Kira uh, now our wonderful listeners know how to get in contact with us if they have opinions on this book other books or books they would like us to read um, 
Merry Midwinter to you all. <laughs> Merry Midwinter. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Forever young at thought of a podcast where we read books. Here as your wild librarian, Eva swear at the lesbians. They're here to answer all of your questions, because they're forever young.